On this episode of Location Cubed, we talk about lessons learned from the pandemic. You're listening to Location Cubed. Howard, we've talked on other podcasts many times, perhaps too many times, about work from home and whether that remains, whether that goes away. We know work from home was not new, right? It, it mm-hmm. existed before the pandemic. It just sort of was accelerated and became more popular. Right. But what, in your mind, what's one thing that you think remains, assuming that we're all said and done now with this thing, what's one thing that remains? Go forward. I would As s- it relates to real estate. Yeah, yeah. I would say probably the biggest thing is the spreading out of people. So one of the things before the pandemic, everybody was looking at a cost per square foot or a number of square feet per person. Offices got smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, People started working not so much in offices, not even cubicles, but at benches and at desks. And you would fit four or five people into a little conference room. You know, one thing that I've seen since, at least with my very small population of Weaver offices, has been we're not crammed together like that. Uh, The amount of people sitting, you know, we have bench desks, whereas maybe it was designed to fit maybe five, maybe six people. There's three people there. Conference rooms that were designed to hold up to four or five people, there's generally two. I don't really hardly ever, other than a training class, I don't Mm -hmm. really ever walk by a conference room and see people sitting side by side by side. Everybody is spread out more. And I think that's one of the things that's going to continue is the amount of space per person will probably, I expect that will continue to maybe increase, but definitely not go back to where it was before. I think I could agree with that as it relates to office space and footprint, Mm -hmm. but there are certain aspects of just daily life, which one would probably want more space, but you can't get less space. You've been to New York very recently. Mm -hmm. You said you rode the subway. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you were packed in like sardines on a subway car, if it's back to that level yet. Not in any of the times that I rode, but it also wasn't back to the way it was in December where I was the only person on the subway car. Now to get to New York, you flew. I'm guessing you sat shoulder to shoulder and cheek to cheek with other folks on the flight. I'd really rather not relive those memories. <laughs> okay, but it's true, right? So to a certain extent, I agree with you as it may relate to our daily lives mm-hmm. in our office and, and workspace and things like that. But at the same time, somehow when we get on a plane, we, we have forgotten that, right? And I think- Still got to get there. We still don't want to pay $1,000, well, I'm sorry, $2,000 a ticket. Uh, agreed. Now, that's there's a whole host of other <laughs> factors that are impacting that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I will tell you, f- for the first time in a long time, and this is probably a, maybe two months ago, happened to be traveling across the country and was on a packed plane, packed tram cars in airports, mm-hmm. packed you know restaurants. And people seem to have kind of lost that, oh, I want you to stay six feet away from me thing, and I'm going to wipe down every surface that I touch. I've said this several times as well. People forget we have very short-term memories yeah. and things that become out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what about some of the other, um, I'll say, just changes in how we interact, perhaps in a retail context, in a restaurant or hospitality context? What do you think? What do you see there in your travels that occurred during the pandemic and still continues to be prevalent today? Well, the biggest thing I'm seeing is that the restaurants is that there's still a fair amount of spacing out mm-hmm. in terms of restaurants don't have tables that are next to, you know, lots of tables next to each other, or, you know, there'll be a, a seat and then an empty seat, then another seat. Yeah. 
I don't think that's necessarily from the pandemic standpoint as much as from the fact that they don't have people to work. We were at dinner the other and, night. Yeah. Remember, and I asked the waitress that question. Is yeah, this because yeah. of the pandemic? And she said... No, it's because of the staffing shortage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So that's been kind of, a, it's kind of staying with us. I don't think it's, again, once staffing gets back to norm, normal, whatever normal is, right. um, that will probably re- revert itself. Uh, I've seen, you know, I know one of the things that happened, again, going back to New York, is there was a lot of outdoor dining. Uh, I went there back in May when the weather was really good, and there was some outdoor dining, but for the most part, um, people were inside. Now, the bad part about that is that the outdoor dining spaces are still there. Mm-hmm. And so you've got an outdoor dining space with maybe a person in it, and it's blocking half the sidewalk yeah. or it's blocking part of the street. And so I think that's something that's going to have to be dealt with mm-hmm. in terms of are we going to keep those and try to, should we say, enhance them and make them you know, you know, productive, yeah. or if not, we need to get our sidewalks back, yeah. and we need to get our streets oh, back. Yeah. You know, and 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 it's one of those things that you think about, especially here in Texas, where you've got maybe three months out of the year where outdoor dining makes sense. I thought you were going to say three days out of the year. No, I would it's, agree it's, with there's you a few that. months where it's it was good. 104 degrees yesterday. Yeah, and not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not not, not 102, not 103. I'm talking 104 it's, degrees. I don't want to sit outside when it's, it's 104 it's, it's, degrees. It's a little bit early for that this time of year, but you're right. I mean, yeah, no one wants to sit outside when it's 104 degrees. No one wants to sit outside when it's 40 degrees. That's why exactly. there's that's why there's a few months where it actually works. Right. Yeah, and I think New York City, whether it's New York, Chicago, Dallas, it doesn't matter. There's going to be times when when that doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, outdoor dining as a year-round feature is great if you're in Hawaii. San Diego, right. Los Angeles, something like that, but we're not. I think a lot of the contactless type of nuances remain, whether it's the contactless menus. It's kind of nice when you sit down at, at a restaurant and you don't have to wait for someone to bring you your menu. And restaurants can change up their menus much more rapidly they can in the QR world right. than they can in the paper world. And I think that's important now for a key reason, and that is supply chain. Right. If I can't get something, I can easily wipe it from my menu electronically, and I don't have to rely upon my servers or staff to say, well, we're 86ing the chicken wings today because we couldn't get our shipment in. And, and of course, that upsets customers, too, when they're like, oh, I had my heart set on getting that, right. and now you're telling me it's not there. If I don't see it on the menu, I don't miss it. And we've got, we don't want to get the cart before the horse. We're going to talk about supply chain yeah. in another episode, yeah, so we don't want to get too deep into that. Agree. But another thing also along the same lines of the contactless menu is the, you know, pay by your phone too. Mm-hmm. The fact that you don't have to necessarily give your credit card to the waiter or waitress and have them take it back and swipe oh, it yeah. and maybe copy it and, yeah. you know, and then sign a piece of paper. Now it's like you can do it all on your phone. And of course, that's again a trend that's being accelerated because, you know, Apple Pay, Venmo, things like that, right. we're already moving in that direction and now it's just moving that much faster. Yeah, I think the modernization of of payment format mm-hmm. is is here to stay. Right. I mean, we're just really at the cusp of that right now. But I think another thing that's going to stay too, when you talk about contactless, is again going back to the properties, to the real estate, is some of the prop tech things. So, like you said, and you, you swipe your badge when you walk in the door, and it'll take you to your floor, as right. opposed to have to push all the buttons to get on the elevator. Uh, perhaps it becomes a matter of, you know, that also helps check in. People know who's in the building, who's mm-hmm. not. And then I think also from a health safety standpoint, you know, higher 
be, I should say, better quality air conditioning systems, mm-hmm. better quality water systems, et cetera, that's going to be both environmentally conscious as well as provide greater safety for the people in the building yeah. is going to be something that's going to continue as well. Yeah, I, I think the ingenuity around things like that, specifically around the prop tech sector, mm-hmm. um, COVID certainly accelerated that. And whether or not it relates to some sort of a prevention measure, you know, in, in, with respect to the pandemic, that almost doesn't matter. We're now just trying to reimagining how can we make life easier for tenants? How can we make life easier for our employees? And I think just getting to that step of knowing that we have to reimagine and think about throwing out the old and what do we want to look like five, ten years from now is, is a very powerful mindset to get to. And some of that also think about just is going to definitely translate to the hospitality world. True. Um, and, you know, because you're going to have, your, your phone can be your key. Right. You can do a remote check-in. You can go to a hotel, and you could theoretically never have to see anybody or talk to anybody, other than maybe some of those hotels that are putting the robots in on the front. Right. You know? And that's, for some people, that's good. It's a, Again, it's one of those things that it's theoretically, you know, it's safer, it's quicker, it's easier. But also... Cost less for the hotel, right? And so, if and and you know, I was listening to another podcast where they were talking. I can't remember which chain it was, but it was talking about someone talking about hotels and front desks. And they said, "Okay, normal shift at a hotel is eight to five. Okay, well, think about it. If people are just dropping off keys between eight and eleven, how many people do you need at the front desk? If people are checking in starting at three thirty or four. Yeah. Who do you need working there between noon and 3.30? Right. And so it's going to be a matter of let's be smarter about what we're doing. People are maybe expecting, again, depends on the hotel, yeah. a little bit less service and aren't really bothered by the fact that you walk up to the front desk and you have to ring the bell and someone comes out from the back and staff accordingly right. and, and save money and you know try and run the operations a little bit more efficiently. Well, think of it in a conference context. You and I have been to conferences in the last year. You know, You get to that that hotel, or especially if you're going to a major city, let's say it's a major conference in New York, mm-hmm. LA, Las Vegas, right? You've got that line that snakes through the front. I and remember that. Remember, too. we were at that yes, conference, and we realized too late, hey, we could have actually done all this check-in mobile. remotely, right, through a mobile app. We would have gotten our key, and then they would have texted us once that room was ready, and all we had to do was hold our phone up to that door. Right. I mean, that's that's but, very powerful. But if we did that, then we wouldn't have the option to get the upgraded room, which we declined anyway. <laughs> I, that must have happened to you, because I'm, I'm not a high roller like you uh, are. I got the option for the upgraded room. Well, you well it wasn't enough, complimentary. That's you why lose I had enough to money at casinos like you do, and then they upgrade you, just so you know. You're paying for the room indirectly. Mm. So you're the problem is I'm winning at the casinos. That's that, yeah. If you want to call it winning, absolutely. Mm, a few dollars here, a few dollars there. So, you know, one thing that I think from the pandemic that I'm happy that I'm lo- so looking forward to not staying is remote training. Oh, you, know, yeah. you talked about the conference and it was if you remember that one was half in person half remote. That's brutal. Mind you we crashed it so we didn't yes, attend yeah. any yeah. sessions, but we've had a number of training classes that I've taken as a participant remotely. I've taught remotely which is beyond oh, that's, brutal. That's brutal. Um, and I hope that never comes back. Yeah. Well, th- you know, one of the things that I think will to a certain extent remain it goes along with you know, the Zoom and the Teams meetings is, if I'm going to have a meeting, though, and let's say I'm going to have it with six other participants, and we're all coming from different locations geographically, we can get on that Zoom call, talk for an hour, turn off, and we're right back in our office, and we've lost no productivity. If we all have to, we're still in the mindset that we have to go and sit in the same place, it takes longer to coordinate, mm-hmm. longer to get there, you lose more of your day, and there's a loss of productivity. Uh, but I will say, again, it's, 
there's caveats there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an internal meeting. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do that regularly with clients or with prospects um, because you lose that connection that you need when you're building up and networking. With our internal participants, we at least see each other enough that it's we're not really losing anything by having those meetings. Right. The other thing that's, again, kind of annoying along the same regards is doing that with people in the same office. Oh, I hate that. You know, there's, there's no reason to have, in my opinion, there's no reason to have a Teams meeting with people who are sitting two doors down from me. Right. You know, let's just get up and walk over there and talk. That's one of the things I absolutely love about our office space and our concept is I rarely get a Teams call from somebody who is sitting 10 feet away from me. We just get up. Walk out the door, right, and talk to someone face to face, right, and that you, we we still very much need that human to human, you know, face to face contact. Definitely. You can get you can understand a lot more about what somebody is thinking by looking at their three dimensional face, not a two dimensional image on a screen. Not to mention that you're normal, you know, your head is normal sized right now. Yeah. When I'm looking at you at the screen, it's your head, and it's just like, oh my gosh, you I, know, it, it's very hard as people to really focus and to really not be. You don't necessarily realize it consciously, but subconsciously, you're put off a little bit by the fact that you don't really have that sense of perspective of right. someone. Yeah, I mean, it's much easier for me to tell how annoyed you are with me when we're sitting face to face than than you are on the screen because I can see your eyes glaze over at some point and your head just starts. Well, it's usually when you start throwing out tax codes. No, it's usually (laughs) when I start talking. So what about multifamily? Uh, That's one where there's been a lot of changes in terms of what developers and planners are doing to provide um, for changes in space because of changes in use. Yeah. Um, And what do you think? What do you think may maybe short lived versus is going to be here for a while? Well, from I, th- that? I think it's a, that becomes somewhat of a generational thing. Let's let's assume for the moment that a lot of that multifamily workforce type housing is going to appeal to a younger demographic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are folks who might be more knowledge based workers who are more adapted to and comfortable with working from home. Okay, than than someone like you or, or myself might be. Well, I mean, you're you're about what twenty. Plus years older than me, so you're, you're gonna get that annoyed look here. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's really. But let's assume that those folks are the ones that are predominantly the work from home advocates. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're seeing multifamily developments look to add more amenities, add co-working spaces, so that I can leave my apartment, I can leave my workspace, and perhaps be in a co-working environment with some other folks where you have desks and benches and you know tabletops set up. Um, so I think you're gonna see that. I think you also do continue to have a design emphasis on creating some sort of a multifunction space within the apartment. Okay, so rather than having you know a two bedroom and one of those maybe one of those bedrooms is you know my primary ensuite and then this the second room is going to be more of an office mm-hmm. or I have a kitchen that can easily be adapted to a work from home space where my countertop is not just my kitchen counter can also be a low rise desk right. that I can work at as well. Yeah, how many times were we on Teams calls where it's like, "Oh, you're in the bedroom. Oh, you're in the kitchen." Yeah. You know, it's it it's and and I get it. I mean, not everybody has space to to build an, to have an office in their house. Um, some people I know who have houses that are big enough to have offices were sharing them with their spouses. Right. Um, and so that would create, you know, an issue. So you're right. I think having having that dual purpose functionality, whether it's through more space or whether it's through furniture changes or even modular yeah. type things to create a, you know, a home for in an office if you're working from home, 
might be one of those things that keeps going. But do you think the same amenities that we've had in the past are going to continue? I mean, one thing that I've heard about, a little bit different, but from a student housing standpoint, is there were all sorts of crazy ideas with student housing and some of the amenities that they thought you know, college kids like, which they probably do. But as I as I read about it, the con the the, the quote that stood out to me was, "This stuff's great for leasing, but it doesn't ever get used for renewals." Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, "Oh wow, there's a climbing wall. Oh wow, there's a lazy river," and that sounds great when you're moving in. And then when you're going to renew, it's like, "I don't ever use the climbing wall. I don't use the lazy river. Why should I pay for that?" Right. You know? I I think to a certain extent that may be correct. You you've touched on something with student housing that I think is important. So. You have a college student, I have a college student. It's, it was interesting, when you look at registering for classes, they'll tell you, well, this class isn't, only meets in person, this class only meets online. Mm-hmm. So you have some students who may have an online class in the morning and then an in-person class in the afternoon, the next day that could be flipped. But those dorm rooms now, living spaces, if they're on campus, need to be adaptable for a, a remote learning environment. And that may not be, you know, that you don't want that student sitting at a lap board or their laptop on their desk, or excuse me, on their, their lap sitting in their bed, right? Yeah. They actually need to have a functioning workspace or a functioning desk that can serve as that virtual classroom. And that's something when, when I went to college and when you graduated back in the 1950s that we didn't have to contend with. <laughs> Right? Well, I didn't even have a computer when I graduated in the 1980s, by the way. Okay. But, you know, you're right. I mean, I remember when we first moved my daughter into her dorm room, her, and it, when she was a freshman, it was like, wow, this dorm room's 150 square feet, it seems like. And right. there's two beds and two desks, and I'm happy I don't have to live here. Right. But I think you're going to see some enhancements and improvements to student housing, both on campus and off campus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to that extent, because that that virtual learning environment is now part of the college experience. Right. And, and that was the comment: is the amenities are moving more towards the 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 concept of you know space for your computer, study right. space, collaboration space. Not you know, kids are going to find a way to have fun. They don't need to necessarily stay at their apartments to do that. Correct. You've been listening to Location Cubed. If you like what you hear, check out that like button and hit it like it owes you money and is attempting to pay you with completely worthless NFTs. Join us next time when we're going to get deep into the supply chain.